remember Peyton was filling out his questionnaire and it said, um, they want to know your head coach's alma mater. So he said, coach, you know, you know, I don't even know what, what's, what's your alma mater. And he said, always do your best. <laughs> so I'm like, great. So, you know, it was That's far so- from an exact science. They didn't know anything about you. You were just a, it was a, you know, That's an imaginary so person put on, put on paper. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Youth Inc. brought to you by Audiorama and our friends at Invisalign. You'd be surprised, you know, as, as the father of a fifth grader and two third graders, you know, we have, we have some friends that now have children that are, you know, starting, you know, late into middle school, early in high school, maybe ninth, 10th graders. And the idea of college recruitment now starts creeping into the picture. You know, the, the idea of just playing for your high school or playing for your middle school or Pop Warner team. Now for anybody who's, you know, child, maybe starting to get noticed, maybe they've taken them to some summer camps and, you know, they're getting college recruitment letters, maybe their son or daughter. You'd be surprised how young this process starts now. I mean, it seems like every day there's a story out there of an, of an eighth grade football player who's being offered by a major power five college or a young girl soccer player who plays for some elite academy on the West coast. And she's starting to get noticed and, and kind of contacted by college recruiters and recruiting services. And I think back to my experience, I had an older brother, really my first taste of college recruitment. I was a rising 10th grader. My brother was a rising 11th grader. We we grew up in New Jersey, both played football. And my dad was really good friends at the time with Greg Schiano, who then went on to be a head coach at Rutgers, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He's now back at Rutgers. Well, at the time he was the defensive coordinator at the university of Miami for Butch Davis. So this was the early two thousands. So that summer going into my 10th grade year, my dad took my brother and I down to camp. And that was really where we were exposed to the national landscape of what recruiting looked like. So we were Monday through Friday at a summer camp at the university of Miami. They brought in some of the top high school players from around the country, no equipment, but we would just go out there and practice two or three times a day. And the coaches would be out there working with you. And then at the end of the week, they would pull over a handful of players Maybe they were a high school senior or somebody they had been recruited that they got to come to camp or in our case, some young kids, you know, again, I'm in 10th. My brother's just finished his sophomore year and going into his junior and they call us over with our parents and they said, Hey, you know, we, you know, we, we really like your two sons. We'd really like to continue the conversation about potentially coming here to the university of Miami. And that was really where our recruiting journey started, right? That's the first team that I remember saying the first school that I remember saying, we like you. We think you can come play here at the University of Miami. You have the skills that we're looking for as a young kid. You know, mind you, I'm 16 years old that we can say, hey, in a couple of years, you can come play here. So that that kind of started what would then be a three year journey and a three year process of college recruitment. You know, my dad calling me. This was before cell phones and text messages calling us and said, hey, you need to be home because at six o'clock, Larry Coker is going to call. All right. Hey, at, at seven o'clock, the you know, Lane Kiffin's going to call and all, you know, Phil Fulmer and all these coaches that had recruited us. And now I think back, you know, that really didn't start until I was really in high school. It's now happening in middle school. It's now happening where these, these middle school parents are feeling pressured to take their kids to these elite academies, these camps, get them noticed social media. Everybody's got, you know, tapes online and mixtapes on huddle, Instagram followings where coaches, And these coaches will admit they are noticing and scouting players at an earlier age to stay ahead of the competition through social media and through the internet. 
And, you know, and I, I just think back to my time and I say, you know, what would my parents have done? Would they have still taken the same path that we did where we would go to maybe one camp a summer, but that wasn't until high school. And then the rest of the time, we just played locally for our high school team, our middle school team, or, you know, whatever the, the age we were at. That's why I think today's episode is so important. You know, our, our guest, uh, Cooper Manning, we, we had him on not just because, of course, the last name, you know, arguably the first family of football. You know, of course, Cooper, everyone knows, you know, very successful um, high school football player out of Louisiana, recruited to go play wide receiver at Ole Miss, was they say the most talented of the three Manning boys. Of course, we're all more familiar with his brother, Eli and Peyton and their careers in the NFL. But Cooper was the athlete. You know, he was the stud. He was the big recruit, went to Ole Miss, ended up being diagnosed with a pretty serious um, spinal condition where he was told he was no longer able to play. But we felt the conversation with Cooper, not only because what he went through personally, growing up with his father, Archie, the, you know, the star quarterback of the Saints, growing up in his hometown at being his father, but then also having two brothers, highly recruited, Hall of Fame, Super Bowl winning quarterbacks. But now it's really come full circle. Cooper finds himself the father of three, two boys and a daughter. And his son, Arch, they say is one of the top recruits of the last 10 years. You know, in this age of NIL and sports specialization and what camps and elite 11 and academies, you have a boy who's 17 years old. He's arising. He's finishing his junior year. He's being recruited by every single major college football program in the country. He's going to the same high school that his father and his two uncles went back in Louisiana he didn't leave to go to some special academy. He didn't give up playing basketball. His team just won the high school state basketball championship. Here is a guy who's raising a son, two sons and a daughter in this world. And, and we just thought his perspective and the stories that he could share were just so relevant to this conversation as a father, as a son, as a youth coach. And it, it was just a, it was a really, really fantastic conversation and before we jump into that conversation with Cooper, I'd just like to take a quick second and recognize uh, we're, we're so proud to have Invisalign as our presenting sponsor. They've been with us since day one. Um, they are the number one doctor-trusted brand, having transformed 12 million smiles over the last 25 years. And one of our big philosophies here at Think is we want to be that trusted resource. We want to be that resource that parents and coaches and children can come to and know that, hey, we're going to provide you with tools necessary to make the best informed decisions. And that's exactly how Invisalign feels. They want to be that trusted resource that you can make to help make great decisions for your son or daughter and giving them the confidence to continue to move on to their future. So we are so thankful for Invisalign, their trust, their partnership with us as we continue to bring another episode of You Think with Cooper Manning. And I hope you enjoy it. Well, we're back with another episode of Youth Inc. And I'm, I'm pumped because I feel like this is a guy that I've worked with for a long time. Uh, we've had a lot of fun together. We've done some very uncomfortable things, I guess would be the best way to put it. We've gotten massages together on camera. We've picked out random men's clothing. Um, but all in all, just a great guy, super talented, super funny, um, and a good friend now, uh, Cooper Manning. I, I can't thank you enough, buddy, for agreeing to come join us here on you think presented by Invisalign and uh, share a little of your perspective as a father, as an athlete, as a husband. And uh, 
come have this conversation with us. I really appreciate you taking the time. I appreciate you having me, Greg. And the last time we were together, we were yeah, in a men's store shopping for uh, the perfect attire or, or, in, or in robes, you know, having a couple's massage together. So this is far more formal than we're used to. I, I appreciate the professionalism I, 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 out of the gates. I, well, I, only the best for you. I told you uh, before we started, I said, we only roll out this sort of setup for you. You know, I, I picture you right now sitting in some like real swanky downtown Louisiana office building with multiple people pick, taking your phone calls. I, I heard you say off camera, like, hold my calls until the 11 o'clock hour. Like, I heard you talking to somebody real formal, like a butler or something. Hold my calls around here means just turn my cell phone off. That's about the extent <laughs> of it. So, yeah. But um, I appreciate I'm it. actually in Nashville, Tennessee today at our, uh, at our headquarters and down in uh, – in a cool little area called Wedgwood, Houston, kind of this up-and-coming area. And uh, this town is on fire. Golly, Nashville is is rocking. Nashville is one of my favorites. That's a cool spot. Well, again, I appreciate you taking the time. A big big part of this conversation, right? I'm a dad of three, as are you. I have two boys and a girl, just like you. There's a lot of similarities in that regard. You grew up playing with your brothers. I grew up, my brother was my quarterback. Somehow the two of us got the short end of the no quarterback. We were both you know, piggybacked with two brothers that played quarterback. We'll, we'll get into that here in a minute. But a big part of this conversation is we wanted to talk to, you know, quote unquote, legacy families about what makes multiple generations within a family. So, of course, I'm talking about your wife, um, Ellen, and your daughter, May, the volleyball kind of hierarchy that, that you guys have set in the Manning household. Um, so, obviously, I want to talk to them. So, and, and Ellen was too busy to come on, so I settled with you. But um, so I, I, again, I appreciate you, you sharing the perspective of the family. I did just read an amazing article about your daughter winning, you know, a couple of years ago, winning the state championship and volleyball and seeing the boys there and then reading about your wife. And so she's the stud. So the kids, the boys and, 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 and may, they all obviously owe it to your wife, not the Mannings. It was your wife. A, a thousand percent. And you, you, <laughs> she, uh, she is, um, yeah, Ellen is one of these gals who's just good at everything. Literally, she can, you know, jump on a karaoke machine and, you know, and she can dance. She can, you know, paint. She can play mahjong. Then she can go out and play volleyball, hit a golf ball. It just drives me. She can do everything well. So she deserves a lot more credit than the uh, the Manning side of these uh, these genes. No question. <laughs> oh, man, that's good. But 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 take us back. So obviously you grew up with two brothers, the three of you, you know, you weren't you were the wide receiver, the other, you know, you played with Peyton in high school, as did I. My older brother was a quarterback, went to the University of Virginia, where I understand your your daughter now attends, right? She does. She's a, yep, so, a great again, time. The, what a great place. It's an awesome place. So just take us back. You know, you're growing up, of course, your father, you know, NFL quarterback, Hall of Fame player. Just take us back to those early years. You know, what did the Manning household both in life, but and also in just your youth sports experience, what did that look like for you and 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 Peyton and Eli just growing up with your mother and father in in Louisiana? What was that experience like for you guys? It was a really neat way of growing up. I mean, you know, a we moved to both my parents are from small towns in Mississippi. They go to Ole Miss, they come to New Orleans, and then he's the the quarterback of a relatively new franchise. So we're growing up. And I guess we didn't know anything different, but everybody kind of knew who you were because your dad was a quarterback. It was the only show in town. And uh, the Saints weren't very good, but I think, you know, he tried to balance being a parent and being an athlete just so he thought if I can get my kids out in the yard and play with them, that's my way of, of be, spending time with them. So we were always shooting hoops. He was fetus, you know, throwing tennis balls in the backyard, hitting, you know, hitting bombs. 
pickup games in the front yard. All of our friends there, dad would be permanent quarterback. He'd come to school sometime and be permanent quarterback at recess. Just He just wanted to spend time with us, and sports was certainly the most uh, – the easiest way for him to interact and we loved it. He loved it. And we go to practice on Saturday. We thought all those players were our best friends. It was an unbelievable way to grow up. And we just sports was, uh, was really a, a big part of just, you know, how we interacted, what we talked about and, uh, and how we competed. And and how did your family approach sports? I, I think a lot of the conversation that, that we're having, and, and it's really been really interesting to, to hear different people's perspectives. I know that how I grew up with sports. My, my father was our high school football coach. So for 40 years, he coached high school ball at a school up in New Jersey, public school. Both all three of all three of the boys, my two brothers and I all played for him and went off to play in college. And it was a very intense atmosphere. We grew up both in our home and obviously the way he ran his program. It was very serious and and we loved it. We he never had to tell us how hard to go work. He never had to push us out the door. Like we really genuinely enjoyed it. And then we had his support kind of kicking us along the way and motivating us and pushing us. So it worked out well. What what was the environment like in your house? Was was your mother and father were they were they just gonna let you guys pave their own way? Did they have to push you guys or did you just gravitate towards football and you know basketball, baseball, growing up playing different sports or you know, what was their level of like encouragement like? I think they just thought this is sports are a parent's best friend. It keeps them busy. It keeps them occupied and just play yeah. whatever, play whatever's in season. I don't care if you're playing dodgeball in the backyard. It's better than being in front of a TV, better be in front of a video game. For me, it was better than being in front of a, a book or studying or something like, sure, I'll go play, you know, tennis with this guy. As long as I don't have to do this homework. So we played everything seasonal we'd play even soccer growing up my dad didn't know you know you know how the ball was shaped at soccer he didn't know which way it, it went <laughs> so we um and it was just it was it was meant to be fun that's what my dad was always like have fun he still is like have fun this is not you know the end of the world you got to enjoy it we don't want don't, don't want to make it work but he at the same time he said as we got older and got a little more serious about it like I'm not going to push you. I'm not going to say, did you work out today? Did you, you know, did you run routes? Did you, if you want, please ask me and ask for the extra help and I'll be there for you. Don't, but don't count on me to say, um, you know, did you get that lift in? If you want to spot and go in the backyard and got a, you know, crappy little weight room. If you want me to work out with you, I'll go out there and spot you or, you know, or catch balls from you or feed you from, you know, free throws. But it's all, it's gotta be you asking, you want to be better. And I think that really kicked in kind of in high school. We thought got to be great to be able to, all we ever wanted to do is play college sports. You know, that was, you never looked beyond that. The idea of possibly getting a scholarship going on and playing seemed like, you know, the top of the world. It's so true. You know, and, and even, it, it just seems like even from our days where, you know, you wanted to play in high school, you wanted to play in college. And that really didn't start until you were in high school. Now, you know, I, I sit around with families that our kids are on my 10 year old, you know, I have nine and 10 year old kids and we you know, see each other in different rec leagues and different travel teams and whatnot. And these parents are already starting to think, what are we doing today? That's going to give our kids a, a chance to go to college or get a scholarship. And I just, I don't remember it happening so young. I don't remember kids until they were juniors in high school, starting to get recruited potentially for a sport that was really where college entered my brain. When I was a kid, all I wanted to do was make my my middle school all-star team or make my high school varsity team and play for my dad, you know? And I just, I don't know when that started, 
but obviously you're going through it now. We're going to get to it, your experience with your own children. But it's just so funny to hear you say, here you are growing up in a family that's obviously very well known. Your father's an NFL quarterback. You know, your brothers coming behind you are highly recruited, as are you. And here you are saying when you're a kid, you just wanted to find that balance of being competitive but keeping it fun. And I, I think, you know, I'm really lucky to have parents that, you know, is a template I can follow. I remember, you know, little life lessons along the way that not to, and you and you also, Greg, I'm sure you saw plenty of bad, bad parents, you know, that were, you know, the guy at the ballpark who gets, you know, asked to leave because he's yelling at his son who, you know, drops a fly ball and you're going, oh, this is not good. And I think probably in the back of his head, he thinks his son's, you know, headed to the major leagues. And this is, this is screwing up the, the master plan. It was nothing <laughs> like that for us. It was like, I mean, I can remember a night I'm, I'm a, I'm a receiver, a sophomore trying to kind of a third receiver and two quarterbacks get hurt. And I got to go in and play quarterback and we play this team. It's better than us. And, and I was, I was awful. I think I threw five interceptions. I think I might've thrown six, but I only, they only gave me credit for five because <laughs> they lost count. And I'm, you know, it's sophomore and what I got, you, know, you, you come home on the bus. It's pretty quiet. And I go up to see my parents when I'm, and dad, my dad said, well, you know, I threw six against Tennessee one time. You didn't, you didn't beat my record. So I was like, <laughs> you know, and so you, it's just a, a nice way of kind of, in, and I never looked back. I never, it never bothered me the next week. It, it just like, you know, you know, water off a duck's back. You keep going. And, and it was, I still enjoyed it. I had fun. I had great memories. I get more stories out of the bad games than I do out of the good ones. But um, yeah, it was, it was all meant to just be fun. And then as you got older again, maybe junior, senior year, you kind of started to maybe get some letters in the mail and questionnaires about how And that was the best, you, wasn't which, it? Oh, I mean, man, I love, you know, and you lied everything on that. You were six, four two twenty five. <laughs> <laughs> I was like the 40 time. I'm like, Hmm, what should I say? It's here? So you, know, you can say whatever you want. You know, parents, parents and kids story. listening to this now have no idea that not very long ago, you know, we're talking 20 years, 25, you would get these, these letters in the mail that were like traditional questionnaires. And with a pen, you would fill out home city, home state, mom's name, dad's name. I don't think email was, I don't think like email, I think home telephone number, height weight 40 yard time shuttle like you would just hand write it in there you'd fold it up put it in an envelope and send it back and that's what they put you down in in the database <laughs> it was amazing right. yeah there was you no a, camps you, a, you weren't running a 40 yard dash at the nike camp no and if you went to a camp you probably went somewhere local i would go to Tulane camps just because it was down the road and of course not super attended and you try to you know and i remember another thing peyton used to always talk about we had this hilarious football coach, Tony Reginelli. He was a, he was a wonderful man. He kind of got everything kind of confused sometimes, but I remember Peyton was filling out his questionnaire and it said, um, they want to know your head coach's alma mater. So he said, coach, you know, you know, I don't even know what, what's, what's your alma mater. And he said, always do your best. <laughs> so we're like, great. So, you know, it was far from an exact science. They didn't know anything about you. You were just a, it was a, you know, That's an imaginary so person put on, Put on paper. Oh man, that that <laughs> that's so good, you know. And so so take us back to to those times, right? So you you play with Peyton. He's your quarterback. You're the star wide receiver. I've always said when people have asked me, you know, in your football career, you know, the Super Bowls, albeit uh, Peyton still owes me a dinner for that for beating us 
We'll talk about it later. Um, you know, like, was it playing a Super Bowl, college? You know, I still think back to my days, Friday nights, playing for my local high school team. My dad's the coach. My brother's my quarterback. He's a jun- He's a senior. I'm a junior. And making that run, we ended up losing in the state championship. But, like, those are the memories around football that I remember. So, like, I'm curious. So, take us back. So, you and your brother, you're playing on the same team. He's the quarterback. You're the star wide receiver, albeit you're, you're older. Like, what, what are the memories that come flashing back to you when you look back on those days playing when football was at its best, which was just playing with your buddies, playing for your high school, and competing with your brother? Yeah, I remember all the, the bus rides and the practice. I remember also running a lot of routes that summer before. Peyton was gonna, Peyton's going to be a sophomore. I'm going to be a senior. And it's kind of the first time all those years in the front yard are, are going to be able to pay off. We had our own little – signals and Greg it was also a time a little bit before everybody was throwing it we decided to throw it around that year you, know, you played you played better athletes and better teams but they threw it six times and we were throwing it 26 times right so you know you caught a lot of balls and we had you know we're running trips left we're doing formations and now I wouldn't say we're we're ahead of our time it's not super complicated but just you could confuse people who are better than you and so it was fun for everybody even the guy who was the third receiver was his parents were having the greatest time of their lives. And I think my parents looked back and said, golly, you know, they've been blessed with Super Bowls and playoff runs and Pro Bowls. And they looked back and saying, those years in high school when their two boys were playing together were as, as memorable and as fun because it's fun. You know, you screw up. You, I remember a couple of years ago, we're playing a tough game and we tie it up with two minutes left. This is Arch's freshman year playing a really good team. And there's a bad snap on the, on the extra point and we lose by one. Well, there's no... There's no one talks about it ever again. He's a great kid. The good kid's going on to the Naval Academy and going to be a, you know, a, a decorated star for for, the, for his country. And there's no scandal. There's no hoopla. There's no blame. It's just like, you move on, you lost. <laughs> Who we got next week? Yeah. So there's something so genuine about that that makes high school sports, I think, fun and innocent and good. And hopefully it can stay that way because some people are – are trying to use it as a platform to get to the next level, which is fine. But this, let's not let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. All right. So t- so now so you're you're a senior. Peyton's a sophomore. You're spending those summers. You're working on your game. You're running routes. He's throwing the ball. Is your dad is your dad out there helping you? Is this with your high school coach? Is this just with each other at the park or at the school? Like what what does that look like in that regard? Yeah, I think this is even, this is before we were having real formal summer workout. So yeah, my dad would be out there or just Peyton and maybe two or three guys. And it was a deal where um, I can remember one time we had a really good high school player who played with us. And um, Randy Livingston was a parade all American MVP and he was getting recruited. And Dean Smith of all people were in, was in town, coach Dean Smith in North Carolina to see Randy. And there were, he was, and we were out there throwing and Dean Smith and Johnny Dawkins and uh, Tommy, you know, Coach K's guys were out there watching us run routes, and Peyton's over there. Just he still was a yeller. Like if you <laughs> dropped one, you had to run back and run it again. And they're looking at it like, who is this gangly sixteen-year-old yelling at this eighteen-year-old? And I'm going looking over, like Peyton, that's Dean Smith. He's like, I don't give a shit who it is. You know, you 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 ran the post a little too thin. I'm throwing to the. And I'm like, oh god. So he was. He was intense from the get-go. It, so we did a lot of our stuff on their own. And, and that was because my dad said, look, y'all aren't going to get any better unless you do. You got to be early. You got to be the last one there. You can't be just lifting when the team lifts. You got to be 
doing stuff at night on Sundays, on Saturdays. So we were putting in the extra work. And fortunately, it paid off for a really fun year. My senior year, we got beat in the semifinals of the state championship by a really good team. But we, uh, we, you know, he threw me a lot of balls. And it was, uh, I think, Greg, looking back, I said, you know, you, were, you would send out your tape. Remember, you would send, literally send a, a VHS tape to play. And I remember, this is kind of when I knew Peyton might be on to something. I think it was uh, maybe Pat Sullivan at, at TCU or someone said, yeah, you know, not a bad looking receiver, you know, kind of a possession guy. Cooper will be okay. Who's this? Who's the six foot, hundred and sixty pound guy throwing it right there every time? And I'm like, oh shit, they're skipping me and going to paint. So uh, that's when things cranked up for him. Oh man, that's awesome. It, it brings back memories. So my my favorite moment, very similar to that. So we're at our high school, and uh, so my dad's obviously out there working with my older brother. He was a grade ahead of me, and there was a coach in from USC that day, and it turns out it was Lane Kiffin. But at the time, he was just like a, so this was early 2000s. This was like 2001. My brother's maybe a junior, 2001 or so. So he's a, just an assistant at, at USC at the time, and he comes in. And my, so my dad's meeting with him in his office. He's like, hey, I'm going to go out and work with my older son. And my younger son's a sophomore or junior, whatever I was. He's going to run routes. He's like, you want to come watch? Sure. So he turns it up, right? I mean, it's full throttle. It's like we're, in, it's like we're at the combine. And I'll never forget it. I'm the only receiver out there. My brother must have thrown 50 balls. I had to run every single one of the routes. It was like our first true, like, all right, man, you want to go out there and you want to compete for these guys and you want them to offer, you better go. And I'll never forget it. And my, we actually still have the business, like, you know, they would come in and give you the business card you know, at the time, you know, Lane Kiffin or Johnny Jones, whoever these assistant coaches were, and you'd keep them because it was cool. And you'd show your buddies at lunch, but I'll never forget it. it so hearing you tell those stories brings back a lot of fond memories of doing it myself. Yeah, it's it, it's pretty special. I, I love those days, and I love I love I love I still see you know at Christmas time you know some old receivers come back and you see old players you know a guy's an orthopedic surgeon in Huntsville, Alabama who came back and goes remember that ball it got deflected and I caught and I mean they're so, you know guys that just their career stopped then they remember everything they remember every single thing that happened and I'm kind of going I don't even, who do we play then because you know you just <laughs> it's so true know, it's um. So, so you talked about the the qualities that your dad instilled in, in you and your brothers about you know being on time and putting in the extra work and he's not going to hold your hand he's not going to check in with you hey did you check did you do your workouts did you do your you know whatever it is so there's a lot of families that are going to be listening to this and they're saying okay I, my father my husband my father's not a hall of fame quarterback I don't have a hall of fame brother who's in high school throwing it to me I'm not maybe I'm not around the game but I have a child or a child's listening to this and goes I have a strong passion you know. We think there's a, a part of the reason we want speaking to families like yours are, is so insightful, in my opinion, is there's a lot of tools and there's a lot of resources that people might not have direct access to, but they can learn and, sh- and stories and, and the, your perspective. So if you're, if you're talking to those families right now and they're saying, all right, I don't have access to, to this coach, I don't have access, what were those tools that the Manning family carried forward with them? And it could be sports related or just in any regard that has allowed you guys to have that, uh, that leg up on everyone to continue to achieve at a high level, continue to be very consistent achievers, not just in sports, but just in life. Like what would you tell those families? Like the secret sauces in your words? Yeah. I don't know if there's a secret sauce, um, Greg, I think, I think one thing um, you'll probably find with us is we haven't changed a lot. I mean, you know, 
no entourage. You know, when you see Peyton, he shows up by himself. Eli, you know, he drives a, you know, a, a truck. I mean, it's not like these guys are flashy and you just, you know, you just, you, you still are, we're going on a trip in a couple of weeks. We're all inviting guys we went to high school with and college with. It's not like you have these new hotshot guys. It's, you know, it's people that can still tell you, you know, you're being an idiot or you make fun of your outfit or, you know, you're still like a, a, just one of the guys. I think you surround yourself with people that not, that are not telling you how great you are. They're telling you, you know, you're being a moron. You're acting <laughs> like an idiot last night. You're, you know, you're new. Those new shoes are horrendous. What, and you got to be able to take it. You're, you're never above the, above the game. And I think, um, you know, criticism is, uh, kind of goes away when you get to some sort of level where you surround yourself with everybody who wants to want something from you. These guys want nothing, but just the same thing they wanted when they were in eighth grade and ninth grade playing with it, just to be yeah. a pal. I think that's really good perspective. I, I, I think that's important for people to hear a family, you know, individuals who've achieved a lot, you know, it's very easy to change. It's very easy to kind of lose what grounded you use the, lose the humanity of what's made you special since you were that 15 year old kid running around, just enjoying it in his backyard. So I just think it's really important for people who might not have access to that similar structure or that similar parenting style or have brothers who share a similar vision, but to still, they have a passion and they want to pursue it. And the whole purpose of this show is just continue to talk to people like yourself and other people have really unique insights and perspectives that then they can use for their own lives and their own decision-making. So I appreciate that. I want to, I want to just transition now a little bit forward now and, and talk to you more as a father, right? We, we got great perspective of you growing up and how your parents impacted you and, and sharing experiences with your brothers, both on the field and off. But, you know, now you find yourself, you know, we've talked a little bit about your star daughter in the volleyball and we're going to, we're going to continue to dive down that road, but you also have two sons and all three have very different, you know, you have a daughter who's into volleyball. You have an offensive lineman, um, 16 year old, I believe he's 16, right? Hyde is 16. Now son plays was the uh, center 16, for, yeah. for Arch, the quarterback. So you have three different children, three different kind of opportunities, three different, I'm sure they, if they're anything like mine, they have three completely different personalities. So just a little insight into your parenting style, right? Like how do we raise different children within the same family and service different needs all at the same time? That's a delicate one also. I mean, I, you know, I'd never been around girls before, you know, coming from three boys, all of a sudden you have a daughter and um, I, I don't think I'd raised her any different. She's competitive. She's tough. She, you know, wants to win. She, she won a state championship in, in volleyball. It was, it was the greatest day of my life. I love going to those tournaments. Oh, you know, May and I would do it ourselves. We'd say, all right, we're leaving everybody. We're headed to Birmingham for a, you know, a weekend tournament. And I'd take all those girls, we'd go eat barbecue. We'd, you know, I'd make them, all right, listen, we're going to learn how to, we're going to learn how to love the Rolling Stones. This trip, we've got two hours. We're going to, we're going to listen to Exile on Main Street. We're going to learn some words, get the lyrics out where you can follow along. We're going to, you know, we're going to, we're going to get ahead of these things and, you know, kind of some old school stuff, ribs, you know, 12 year old girls out there. And I remember one time, and I don't get involved very much, but uh, we were playing in a tournament, probably 13 year old girls. They've all played together for a long time and I know them all. And our head coach couldn't go. So they had some, a little assistant girl who's probably 17 who's filling in and she's passive and the girls are kind of going through the motions. And so I came over and I said, ma'am, can I talk to this team? We're, we're, we're underperforming. And I kind of, you know, I get them in there. And I go, your parents came all this way and y'all are playing like a bunch of sissies. This is just horse shit. 
It makes me want to, it makes me sick to my stomach. And they're all just, you know, look at like Mr. Manning is, man, I'm just, I gave him a little pep talk and May was like, looks over, she's like, man, that was a little much. I'm like, eh, maybe so, but I'm, you know, y'all could do a little bit better. And I'm, I didn't give a hoot, but I kind of thought a little shape up for these girls was fun. And they, it's funny how you can kind of coach girls differently than boys. And, um, but they're all, I just like them to compete. I like them to play sports. I like them to do their best. And did you have fun? I love you. You know, Hey, it wasn't a great day. It was a good day. You played well. You did it wasn't too good. You know, you just call it like it is. So outside of the win one for the Gipper speech, do you get very involved? Like, are you coaching their teams? Are you coaching their teams? Are you the dad who's just standing in the in the bleachers or sitting just observing? Like, what is your style? You know, I I've done both. Um, and I found myself wanting to coach their when I mean, they were young. I mean, you know, you, you run out of rope there a while. I mean, it's like, when they get into school stuff, you just you hit the stands and it is what it is. But yeah. I loved coaching girls, basketball and boys, baseball. And then, you know, they got in lacrosse. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm back in the stands flag football. <laughs> I love flag football. And we did it with all my buddies who's, you know, just dads. We're all just out yeah. there having fun and, 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 you know, doing the best we can. Um, but I enjoyed, again, I think no different than my dad, just a great way of being around kids. And I loved, you know, I was much more, uh, I would say, encouraging to the other kids. The guy who was kind of the last, you know, guy on the team. We want to make, let's get him some action. Let let his let his parents have something to brag about that night. That you know, little little Timmy caught a you know two touchdowns. Sure, they were both on the one yard line and a little you know quick turnaround. <laughs> but, but it doesn't matter, you know that. And I and I think um, and I loved those parents who knew that their kids' athletic career was going, you know was only going so far to let them have some highlights because that, that that's what it's all about. No different than the, the kid in high school who's now a, you know, an orthopedic surgeon still, he's still bragging about that touchdown he caught in the corner or ricochet <laughs> off the helmet. I mean, that's, that's what it's all about. But I love that. And then as you get into, you know, when they start in school, you just, you sit back and you, you cheer and kind of grind it out with the rest of the parents. Yeah, I, I coach a lot of my kids' sports. Um, my, my daughter plays soccer, and, and like you, I'm the guy on the sideline clapping. I, I don't know a lot about it. She's got good, like a couple other dads that coach some of the girls in her school, and they're like, she's only nine, so it's like a third-grade soccer team from school. And uh, the, the guy does a great job, and so I can kind of go there, and I leave her games so much happier than I leave my boys' games where I'm actually coaching it, and the win, regardless of the wins and loss. And I'm like, what am I doing? Like, why am I making myself so miserable worrying about, you know, and then I end up being harder on my kid to like overcompensate because I don't want the other parents to think I'm playing favorites and he's only playing quarterback because he's my kid and he's only pitching because he's my kid. And I'm like, so I go out of my way and then I drive home and it's like this crazy, like vicious circle. And I'm like, I just want to be the dad. I envy the dad sometimes who walks in with his chair and his cup of coffee and he puts it down and he sits there he claps, and when the game's over, they go for ice cream. Like, I wish I could be that guy, but I can't. My dad was that guy in high school, and I, and I agree. I'm just jealous. He'd sit at the top of the stands and just sit back, and, I mean, I'm sure he was super critical of what all was going on, but we didn't know about it, and it never affected our relationship with our coach. And I, 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 I've tried that. I think kids get you – know, more people have opinions now. I remember uh, – I'm having a flashback, Greg. I'm coaching Hyde. He's probably – eight and we're playing in a little little you know basketball league you know eight and a half foot uh 
And we're playing a team that's so much better than us. And I had this great high school coach, Billy Fitzgerald was just, he was, he, he should have been a college coach or a pro coach. And he stayed at our high school. We were, he was so, so much better than we deserved. We won state championships and he was just a tough guy, kind of a Bobby Knight guy, but we're playing this team and this Hyde's team. We're okay. We got one player and they got a bunch of players and we spread them out and running four corners and running backdoor stuff. And we, I mean, this team would beat us a hundred out of a hundred. And somehow late in the game, we get a little backdoor cut. We hit the play up and we win and all the parents are coming out and they're hugging. And, and we're, so I'm riding home and I'm on a high. I mean, I'm, this is like, I'm going to be a coach one day. I've coached this eight year old <laughs> little biddies into a, so I get uh, of all things, you know, I don't have, I call my old head coach and I, I mean, just Billy Fisher. I just call him on the ride home. And I said, coach, you're not going to believe it. I got Hyde's eight year old team. We're in the semifinals. They got a bunch of tall timbers, and we backdoor cut them, and we ran, you know, spread them out and ran four corners, and we wind up winning, and it was just unbelievable. And Coach goes, who is this? And I'm like, oh, shit. It's it's Cook. I mean, this is it's the greatest day of my life. And I'm like, what am I doing? I've lost complete perspective on everything. I think it's the great. He's like, why are you interrupting my dinner? Tell me about some, you know, I hadn't talked to him in three years. He gets this random call from an old player. He's like, well, you know, so anyway. But um, that's why, but those get, stories right there is are why we drive ourselves crazy. And and it was a big inspiration for like why I wanted to go out and have these conversations and put this show together is because like I would be laying in bed. And again, my kids are younger, you know, they're young. I mean, eight, nine, uh, nine and 10. And like, I would come home and I would let a flag football game on a Saturday afternoon, like even during the fall, like I'd go to walk through in the morning when I was playing, I'd go to walk through in the morning. I'd race down the street, make it to the little church field where my kid was playing eight, eight year old flag football, go out there. Me and my dad would coach it and we'd try to do it the right way. Come home. And like, it'd be three hours later, I'm going to the hotel to start like meetings for the night before. And I find myself like sitting in the cafeteria and I'm like rehashing the game with the other players and coach. And I would sit back to him and be like, I have a game tomorrow and I'm more worried about this damn flag football team and why they don't understand not to let anyone get behind them in zone coverage. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's stupid, but it's super rewarding when you get it right. Agree. And I think sometimes Greg, I'm sure you found it. You try to go in and you're calm and you're cool. And then the other coach who oh, yeah. probably never played a down is got a good team. They're schemed right. And he's kind of loud. And, and we, you know, all of a sudden you're down 21, nothing. And you're like, all right, I'm trying to, you know, be this level headed guy. And you're like, I want to <laughs> so rip this true. guy's face off. I'm going to, I'm going to kill this guy. I'm going to beat him up in the park. And then it becomes personal. And, get, and then it becomes personal. Then, you know, you know, same way you're coaching third. You're like, all right, you know, good, good hit. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're down eight, nothing. And he's just, you know, waving guys home, just, you know, going, <laughs> Oh, come on. I got someone in center field who's looking the wrong way. He's looking out, you know, picking, picking daisies. And oh, so and they can, they can bring, they can bring the worst out of a, out of a normal, sane human being. I, I know. I, and I try to talk to myself and I try to like have these moments of like inner <laughs> perspective, like, all right, man, go there. But you know what, when you're wired a certain way, it's hard to not do things the right way. So we end up driving ourselves crazy. I want to transition a little bit here into the last few things. You know, you mentioned we, we've talked about your daughter now in May and, and her volleyball career in high school with, with your wife and winning the state championship. And now you have two boys that are playing together, high school football, the same school you and your brothers went to. Like, what, what is that moment like? Like, how many parallels do you see? And, and I, know, I know Hyde doesn't play wide receiver, but nonetheless, they're playing together on the field at the same time. 
And there you are sitting like, do you have flashbacks of seeing the boys in those, in those Newman uniforms and think back like this was me and my brother, this was my family. Like, is it, is that kind of weird sometimes to like look back and, and draw those parallels? It is. Sometimes I feel like I'm living my parents' life all over again. I mean, it's, (laughs) uh, it's fun. I will say um, it's been, you know, you know, our arch was fortunate enough to get to play as a freshman. You know, they had a really good quarterback who graduated and kind of the, you know, it was just walked into a situation where he got to play as a freshman. So it started earlier. Sometimes, you know, in certain situations, you just, you'd never play a freshman. You might yep. not even play till you're a junior. So it's gotten, we've, we've got a full dosage of it and it's so much fun for Hyde. Hyde really worked his tail off to try to get big enough to where he could, he could play and battle. And, you know, he, he got to like, I don't know. He put on 50 pounds and then now he's up to two thirty. He called me the day, he called after the season. He's like, I got to slim down. I don't like being this like meat wagon here. So he's like, I'm going to play lacrosse. I'm going to get down about 200. And then after lacrosse is over, I'll just, you know, hit the mayonnaise jar and get like that 225 or something. So, um, it is so much fun. We are, um, and they get along. They are completely opposites. I think, you know, Arch can yell at Hyde a lot and Hyde can be critical of Arch and, and probably, um, but they get along well. We laugh a lot. Um, they've had some success, um, had some, some, you know, Hyde got, he got beat out a little bit toward the end of the year. And I'm like, Hey, this is good. You know, things, things are not perfect. You're going to have to deal with adversity and, you know, and um, things go wrong. And I think that's kind of the big picture of the life lessons along the way that are sports can create that, you don't always get at, you know, being in the play or being at a debate team. I mean, you, you know, when you got some a big audience and things go wrong and how do you deal with it and critique, it's it's your first step because it gets, you know, the games get bigger and the situations get tougher. And uh, I think it's a great place to kind of, you know, show some perseverance and, and show some character. I think that's so important because because failure and 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 dealing with adversity, in, in my mind, my whole approach towards youth sports is to learn those very lessons. And, and you just brought up a great one. So so give us some insight. What What is that approach? Like, what? how do you handle those hard conversations with your son or daughter? Or how do you deal with when they come home and they've experienced a little failure or they've had, you know, whether it's a bad game or you mentioned maybe losing a little time, like, what what are the approach? What is the approach that that you guys ha- that you take in your family to to allow those moments to be a fail forward and allow them to continue to improve and continue to move forward with their lives? I'm a big fan of of um, of putting it back on them. Like, what do you think is the problem is, and and then how are you going to solve it? I don't like that's great. I don't like complaining. Um, I don't mind a complaint, but let's 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 have the resolution and then you do it. I don't. You know, there's a time, I guess, in a place when a parent has to step in. But most of the time, I like you do it on your own. If you got a problem with a teammate, call him. Let's call him and no texting, no emailing. Let's, you know, call him and say, hey, I want to talk to you about it man to man. And let's maybe you get it worked out. Maybe you don't. But t- taking things head on and really discussing is uh, is the way I like to do it. And, you know, I think I think that's part of growing up. I know it was the other day Arch was, uh, you know, he gets these creates these great relationships with these coaches. They're wonderful to them. They're great people. And then there's some point when you're not going to go to that school and the coach is continuing to call you and you got to, you got to call them and, and let them know that I don't think this is going to work out. And he's like, Ooh, I don't want to do that. I mean, I go, I'm, Hey, part of growing up, you got to call and they think you're calling. Hey buddy, how you doing? You're like, coach, I don't, you know, I appreciate everything you've done for me, but I just, I just don't see myself going to, 
you know, this university and they're, and they're disappointed, but at the same time, they appreciate that. And that's a lesson. It's growing up. It's not fun. It's awkward. It's hard. It's like breaking up with a girlfriend. It's not, you don't want to, but sometimes you got to do it because it's the right thing to do. And I think again, um, you know, it's, it gets, you know, the situation. I, think that, I just think that's so, that's just such valuable perspective for, for so many people. And whether it's calling a college coach to tell him you're not coming, I, I vividly remember making those calls. My dad, it didn't matter who called, what coach it was. I'd be like, dad, I'm not going to Purdue or, you know, whoever, not, right. no, no offense to Purdue for all my Purdue fans out there. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going there. He's like, this coach took time, <laughs> this time, this, this coach took time to write you letters. He's taken time to come visit. You owe him that respect. And now at the time I was 17, I didn't want to come home. I didn't have a cell phone. Right. So I'd have to be home at seven o'clock in the spring when I was in track and field and to go out with my buddies for pizza. Like I didn't want to have to come home because coach, whoever was calling me, but like looking back on those moments, I'm glad he made me do it because now the 37 year old version of me, those are the same ways that I try to carry forward and build those lessons into my kids and dealing with failure and dealing with adversity and having uncomfortable conversations. So I, I'm glad my my parents made me do that, even though in the moment I probably despised it. I got a we had a conversation the night. Arch was trying to debate on whether to play to run track in the spring. He goes, I just I think I'd rather just you know lift to get stronger and work on, and just kind of stick with football. And he goes, but I love our track coach. He's the best guy, and I just don't want to I don't want to tell him that. I go, Dad, will you call him? I said. I'm not calling him. I mean, I, you know, you call him. You're going to call him right now and tell him the deal. Get on the phone right now. He's like, oh, I don't want to do it. I, I go, get on the phone. Sure enough, has this great conversation. Coach Fowl is a total pro. I get an email from the coach saying, hey, I really appreciated the call from March. That's, you know, taking. I know he, I, we're going to certainly miss him, but that's a mature thing to do. And I sent that to Arch. Like this, you see, it's, just, it, it's, it's starting to, it's, it makes sense. I know it. It's a juvenile, uh, you know, it's a guy, a boy turning into a man. And, and you got to, of course, got to make him, you can't, you can't bail him out all the time. You got to handle it. They got to handle it. So um, it's a. Uh, yeah. So, so you, you brought up Arch and obviously his, his story has been well chronicled. His story has been well covered since his night, you know, since ninth grade, since his freshman year when he started and has obviously come with a lot of fanfare and there's a lot of interest in where he's going to go and whatnot. But the part I'm, I'm more curious about, I read a really interesting article the other day in The Athletic, and, and the headline was something along the lines of the cost of, of raising a, a five-star quarterback or a blue-chip quarterback or whatever the co- thing was. And it was, it was talking a little bit about, like, the money involved, but that's not the conversation for this point. Like, the sacrifice, the time, the camps, the training, the personal training – what, what is your approach? I mean, obviously you guys between your father and your brothers, I mean, he's been around quarterback play with you. He's been around, you know, understanding the game and wide receivers. He's just probably been exposed to more football than most kids have in a lifetime. What is your approach? So when you, when you look at Arch and his growth and his progress, as he gets ready to go off to college here soon next year, like what does a routine look like for him? What does workouts look for, for him? Like, how do you guys approach it? Like what, what does that look like in the Manning family? Because right now the quarterback world, specifically in high school between camps and elite 11 and junior days, personal trainers paying $300 an hour. I mean, it's a, it's a business in and of itself. No, it can, it can get away from you. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day. He said, I was like, Hey, uh, he said his son's a quarterback. And I said, Hey, well, if he ever wants to come to the Manning Pass Academy, let me know. Love, love to have him. He goes, Oh, he's, he's, but he's only 12. And I went, 
Oh, really? He goes, yeah, we just got back from a seven on seven deal in Las Vegas, you know, where he did well, invitation only. And I'm like, we didn't do any of that. We just, you know, we were playing in the backyard. So we, we've we always kept it a little more simple. There's a, there's a, a good quarterback coach over in uh, who was a backup quarterback for Eli, David Morris, who would come over, you know, maybe once a year and watch him throw and see if there's anything. But I was always like, I think you got to just keep doing what you're doing, keep playing and, and, and again, keep it light and keep it fun. It doesn't, we, he hasn't done a ton of um, camps or, over the top stuff. It's been working out with the receivers at, you know, at the field down the, the road. We got kicked off. He, Arch got kicked off more fields during, during the COVID because you weren't allowed to be <laughs> on these plays. He got the two lane, you know, we're at this intramural field, the two lane cops are coming over and I get a call like dad, we're, you know, we're being detained right now for throwing, you know, go routes on the, on the field. So it, it's been, um, I think keep it, I think people can get way ahead of themselves and I clearly, you don't, if you don't know anything, you're kind of, you could be lost and you're trying to help them, but you know, you, I guess we have enough basic stuff you can ask. And I think Arch uses Eli and Peyton a lot on like, is this worth doing? Should I do this? And he hasn't done um, any very, he's done very little showcases or he hasn't done any of that stuff. Very little, no seven on seven tournaments, just, you know, just lifting, throwing and, 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 and playing with his, with his, with his teammates. Now, is that, is, is that, in his discretion, like, is that just something he's not interested in? Is that something you as a family sit down and just talk about the pros and the cons? Is he, you mentioned he reaches out to Eli and Peyton to bounce it off them. Like how, who's driving that? Like, right. I can't, I can't tell you how, like how much we don't talk about this stuff. It is such like, a, got it. it is the most, um, I know people are, um, interested and think this is like, I mean, we can go a long time now. It's starting a little bit. We didn't talk about any colleges, anything as a freshman or a sophomore, even as a junior. Uh, you know, he said, all right, let's go see some games. I think it'd be fun to go see some. You yeah. ever been to a game in Athens? It's great. You ever been to a game in Tuscaloosa? You need to do it, you know, just to go see what the heck it looks like because he'd never even been anywhere. So I, it's, I would, but like at the dinner table, we're talking about, you know, what happened at lunch at school and someone, you know, Someone has a crush on somebody. It's not like X's and O's and got, you know, the salt and pepper shaker is three deep. And I mean, it's, (laughs) it's a very normal, um, that's um, awesome. Just regular, regular conversation as if they weren't even athletes. One more thing I'm curious about, and then we'll kind of wrap it up. What you mentioned, you mentioned Arch kind of being torn about whether he wanted to play, uh, you know, track and field. I, I just read that he won a state championship in basketball. I know we all saw the videos of of Saban and and uh, you know and Kirby Smart coming to his games. I'm sure that was a scene. Uh, I rem- I still remember vividly when Tyrone Willingham came to watch me play basketball as a senior in high school, and it was an away game. So we went to like this dingy gym in North Jersey against one of our you know other teams and you know, the fans were there and then they all knew who he It turned into like a huge circus and they're cussing at me. It was like a, sir, I remember that vividly. I can only imagine what that gym must be like when Nick Saban and Kirby Smart come walking through. But my, my question is, and I'll let you expand on that because I find it interesting, but like sports specialization right now is a huge kind of buzzword right now. And, you know, for an elite player like him to still be playing basketball, to be toying with the idea of, of doing track or just concentrating on his, on his spring training and whatnot. Like what are those conversations like in your house? What are those conversations like in your perspective of young kids at an earlier and earlier age being forced to pick one path 
and stick with it and not be encouraged to play. I mean, most parents would not allow their friend, you know, their quarterback who's going to go play division one, their son play high school basketball. But I, I always look and say, those are the best memories of playing with your buddies. Why would you take that away from them? Agree. I'll tell you that the two or three biggest compliments or observations these coaches have um, about Archer, they love that he plays multiple sports. They love athletes who play multiple sports. They do not like specialized guys. They want you to, I don't, you know, be on, play tennis, play golf, play soccer, play run track, play hoops. They love that. They don't want, and they don't, they hate social media. So he's not a social media guy. They love that. Like, it's not all about me, you know, can't. And, um, and they just, they like, um, they like just grounded, you know, grounded guys that aren't, the, the, the dad's not in every meeting, you know, Hey, send him up here, you know, let him have it. You know, just, they, they want you could, cause it's, it's, um, there are a lot of people that are, I think that are way too involved. And I think just, if you can just kind of rewind the clock and get back to the priorities you had 20 years ago of just, Hey, I like this guy. I like this coach. I like this school. You know, that's how we're looking at things. And, and, I've said it before. It may sound simple, and and he's in a in a very enviable position. I think it's it's harder, Greg, when you're trying to get that last spot. If you're a you know you're that kind of undersized linebacker who's just dying to go to go back to Purdue. He's going to Purdue. He wants to be that last guy, and he's trying to prove himself. That's harder. That's harder on parents. I think that's more stressful, and you're just trying to validate yourself as you belong, and you're doing everything you can to be seen. That's a total different game. And I, and I understand that. I don't, I don't, I haven't been through that, but I know that's, that's harder than what we're dealing, dealing with. Yeah. And that, I think that's a really interesting perspective. And, and just, a, that's definitely true when you have really in essence, quote unquote, the pick of the litter and you're, you know, an established guy and you kind of can take a look at the landscape. No one's putting you under a pressure. Hey, if you don't take this last scholarship by next week, it's going to somebody else. I mean, that, that's a very stressful and, they, and so the, the last question I have for you, and it's really regarding this new landscape of college recruiting, and you guys are living it, you know, firsthand right now in real time, but you also lived it personally, you know, 20 plus years ago, and as did, you know, your brothers. And, and I remember going through it. It just seems so different now. Like, I remember when it was about the relationship with the coach and it was about what system they ran and the academic advisors, and you'd go take your visits and you'd go through and. And I just feel like from talking and maybe your experience is a little different. You can shed some light on it from talking to college coaches that I know throughout the country and talking with different families that have high school age kids getting recruited. It just seems so much to me with the NIL and social media and the elite camps that everything nowadays has become almost the highest bidder. It's become who can promise you the most over the next four years, who can give you the biggest NIL deals. And it's really changed you know, relationships, coach, player, coach, school, um, player, school, what in your perspective and in your experience, like how different is this process now with, with your son versus the process that you did, you know, a little, you know, 20 years ago or so. Yeah. You know, it's all kind of changed here in, in the last couple of months, all this, yep. this, this, um, I think it's just a lot harder on the coaches, you know, how, because it's one thing to get him in the door. Okay, great. We got Olson at Miami. We've been recruiting him. You know, we've been so nice to him. Now I can yell at him all day. I don't have to, I don't have to coddle him. I'm going to wear his ass out and he's not going anywhere. He's going to, he's going right. to deal with it because he, he can't afford to transfer and sit out a year. Now 
you have to you have to tiptoe around these guys and kind of re-recruit them every day because they'll they'll you know oh I don't think he likes me I'm headed on the road I, I know one thing I saw that was pretty interesting and a lot of a lot of the bigger programs are doing it that if they have a player who's at school enrolled and going along and he gets into the portal see you later you can't they're not letting you go out there and check out what's eh, who's who likes yeah. me how do I look if you're going to go test the waters and dip your toe in you're you know we're we're, we're off and you're done. So um, I think it's it's harder on these college coaches. It's hard. College coaches, they work their tail off. I mean, I can tell you, those coaches at Georgia, once they won the national championship, I don't think they ever went home. They went right to the road, and they're going to some, again, dingy-ass basketball gym watching Arch play, you know, come off the bench and score four points. And, you know, and that's big news. They have to be there to be there, not because they give a hoot whether he can do a left-handed layup or hit a three-pointer, they right. just have to do there to because someone else will say they weren't there. It's it's, it's a game of so it's um it's it's challenging and that and the way they move around makes it even more difficult for a player to go where do I want to be because I'm not so sure the guy that's recruiting me is going to be the guy that's coaching me. That's the hard part. That's really hard. And I, and I think that was always the argument for the transfer portal was coaches can bounce around so much and the relationship that you made with the offensive coordinator or the quarterback coach, whoever it was, all of a sudden now he's bailed and I'm stuck at a squad, which I always understood. But I, I think your points there are super valid. Um, I just texted Miami, so I let them know that that's where Arch will be playing. So I appreciate you bringing that up Good. live here on You Think. So that worked out. Great. But um, I do I do have one more question before you go in yeah. all seriousness. And again, your perspective on all this, I just think is so relevant. I think your experiences and just your, you know, your openness to kind of share your the, the struggles and the positives and your experience as a child and your experiences now as a father is just so relevant to the purpose of this. So I, I got one last thing here before we go. You know, as you look forward into this world of youth sports and so now you've lived it, your you know, your entire life and, and from different perspectives. What do you see as the big challenges? Like, where do you see the landscape changing? Is there anything that you see? Like, if we don't get this under control, youth sports is just going to continue to kind of get away from us. Is there anything top of mind that that comes to you? I, I just, I wish it wasn't all about the money so early. I think people are thinking about, you know, being a, a brand ambassador or, you know, cutting the deal or getting to the league and they're not appreciating the time in high school and college. Those are the best times. It gets, as you know, Greg, it gets harder and less fun as you get older and becomes a job. I mean, smell the roses. Even if you're a shoot, if you're a, you know, lucky enough to run down on a kickoff, that, that's, those are great little steps in that you'll look back and if you go on to do great things in another industry, those days in college and high school and it, Hey, shoot, if you're lucky enough to play a little pro ball, great. But it's the, the it's the criticism gets, gets heavier. The uh, you know, the real great relationships get harder to make as you get into the pros. And so um, I think just smell the roses, enjoy where you are. The grass is not always greener elsewhere. Uh, Grass is pretty green right where you are. Enjoy it. I think that's very well said. There's there's no question that we are speeding up this entire process of youth sports where every year it seems like those those markers get younger and younger and the decisions get younger and younger. I mean, yeah, I, I think that's really well said. So, hey, man, Coop, you've always been awesome to me. You've always been uh, a, just a 
great dude to be around. We've had a lot of fun over the years doing a lot of different things. And for you to take some time here and kind of share some personal stories and share some very unique insights, um, both as a dad and as a husband and, and as a son back in the day reflecting. So it's super relevant to our conversation. These are the conversations that we think provide people with some really cool resources, some really cool insight to allow them to make better decisions, parenting their own children, specifically for the youth sports and, uh, so again, man, thanks for join, joining you, Think, and best to all three of your kids, best to your family, and uh, I hope we catch up sometime here soon. We've always had a blast. Greg, I can't thank you enough for having me. I'm excited. I think you're on the right track as a parent. Um, you know, just I, I love that you're, that you're stewing over games uh, for a flag football game goes wrong for three hours. I, I can remember being there going, I cannot believe we, I called that play and, you know, send that guy out. It's still, and the kids are out there already, you know, eating a snowball it's, and don't give up. So, they don't even know who won. It's so funny you say that. So we actually, we, we, my 10 year old plays on a baseball team that they do. And we're one of those families. So I have to admit, and he loves it. And I tell him all the time, if you don't want to do this, I don't need to fly to Houston, Texas for 10 year old baseball. <laughs> so we spent the entire weekend with the other, with the other families on the team. And they had a great, there was like 50 teams from all over the country. It was really cool. Went out to Houston. We lost in the semifinals we had the lead in the, in the fifth inning and we, you know, made a couple mistakes again, they're 10, right? So I mean, they're 10 yeah. and we expect them to be my major league baseball players. And we're back at the hotel. The tournament's over. We find out that the team we lost to 10 run ruled the team in the championship. So I'm sitting there and I'm rehashing those last few innings and whatnot. The kids have now moved on. They're running around. We're telling them to stop. They're playing football. They're tagging. And I'm sitting on the couch, like rehashing this game like we should have won. I can't believe we lost. And I'm looking around and like, I don't even think the kids knew the score. And I'm like, man, this is Everybody, just, there, there's something wrong here. Yeah. Everybody's having fun except the coach. Oh, At least that means man. you're doing it right. They're having fun. That's all that matters. Oh man. They, they moved on fast, but well, again, man, I appreciate it. Best of luck to all your, your, your children, your family. And uh, always fun chatting with you, buddy. Hope to see you soon. Thanks buddy. You too, man. Take care. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. As, as we were mapping out, you think, and, and the certain voices that we knew were super relevant and super timely to this conversation, Cooper was somebody that I've worked with in the past. We've done some fun projects together. We both work at Fox, and I just felt like he was the perfect person, right? Not only his family legacy and listening to him talk about growing up and catching passes in high school with Peyton. You know, I, I thought it was so interesting, his father, Archie's approach, right? He, they weren't going to every college camp. He goes, yeah, mostly me and Peyton were just at our high school field and Peyton would be grabbing a handful of the wide receivers. And granted Peyton was younger than Cooper, but he's like, he always would boss us around. And, you know, it's just so cool to kind of hear because you watch Peyton on the field and he's still kind of telling everybody where to go and boss everybody around. And, and then you listen to Cooper say, yeah, in high school, it was me and a couple of our high school buddies. And we'd be over at the park or we'd be over at the high school fields. And our summer practice was not some special coach. It was not some special camp. It was just Peyton telling us where to go and just running routes on our own. He said his dad would come out and help if he wasn't at practice. I just, it was such an organic and it just felt so authentic and real to just hear him reflect back to those high school days and just, and to think of what those three boys from a legacy standpoint were inheriting, you know, being the son of Archie, you know, hall of fame caliber quarterback, you know, playing professional quarterback in their town where they're growing up, trying to make names for themselves. 
you know, I, I always, and something I've always marveled about Cooper was, you know, if it wasn't for him being diagnosed with a, with a pretty serious spine condition that, that his doctor advised him not to play, he's really regarded. And when you hear Peyton and Eli talk about it, he was the athlete of the three, you know, Peyton and Eli, of course, are hall of fame quarterbacks, super bowl winning quarterbacks, you know, Peyton MVP multiple times, but Cooper was the stud right? He was the guy that everybody came to watch. He was the guy catching all of Peyton's passes as a senior in high school. And I just think it's so cool to see how their lives have not only separated into run, you know, Cooper's very into business and running multiple companies and working. And obviously his two brothers went on to achieve what they did, but they're all still so connected. You know, when I asked him, you know, who, who helps arch out, right? Your son, who's going to be a five-star recruit and he goes, yeah, his uncles, he calls his uncles a lot and he leans on them. Like, it's just so casual and it just feels like there's such a strong foundation of love and support within that Manning family. And I just think it's so important for people to hear and, and probably the story that hit me the most. And I went home and shared this with my kids, similar to Cooper. I have two boys and, and, and one girl my, and my daughter you know, the boys typically get all, you know, we're playing baseball tournaments and we're spending and she's the great sister coming and tagging along. And then when she plays her soccer, we make sure we're all there and, and we support her, but it's typically one game on a Saturday and it's quick. And for whatever reason, it, we don't want it to be, but it sometimes feels that it gets kind of put on the back burner. I went home and told my boys and my wife, and I said, I want to tell you guys a story about the Mannings that Cooper shared with me. Cooper's wife, his daughter, May, playing for the high school state championship in volleyball. Mom was the MVP of the tournament years back. And now the daughter's playing on the team. And I can just picture Cooper, his son, Arch. Of course, we talked about the five-star quarterback, his other son, Hyde, who was the high school center snapping to his brother, dressing up in their, in the, you know, her, their sister May's all girls high school that she goes to sitting in the bleachers, screaming with every point, watching her win the state championship. When the call ended, I just couldn't help but think there's no guarantees that kids are going to be what everyone thinks they're going to be. You know, every five star doesn't turn out to be Peyton and Eli Manning, but I'll tell you what, the Mannings are doing something right. The balance, keeping kids, things in perspective. We Cooper tells us we sat around the kitchen table. We don't talk college recruiting. We talk who's dating, who, who's, who's going out with the boy, who's going to the senior dance with who he goes, that's our kitchen table. And I just, it really hit home with me about perspective and about balance. And there's time for everything. Be where your feet are. When it's time to be a parent, be a parent. When it's time to be a brother, be a brother. When it's time to be a sister, be a sister. And then when it's time to go out and compete and go get scholarships and go try to make the varsity team and go, yeah, you go do you. But I just thought it was such an eye-opening conversation to have with Cooper to hear about that Manning legacy, see how they're all handling it, and how are they taking all of those tools and using it to raise their three children, all three with very different needs, very different interests, very different support structures, yet continuing to parent all three kids the way each kid needs to be parented. And I just think it's so relatable. I know I can relate to it. I hope a lot of you can relate to it. And um, I'm just really, really proud of that conversation. And I'm I'm really glad we were able to bring it to you guys. So I hope you guys enjoyed it. Another episode with Cooper Manning on You Think brought to you by Audiorama and our friends in Invisalign. Well, until next time here on You Think, um, continue to follow us on all of our social channels at You Think, um, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter. 
Uh, we're constantly releasing new content. It's not just these interviews. There's so much more content that we're working on that we're going to continue to provide you guys here at You Think. So rate, review, subscribe. And uh, until next time, we'll see you guys on You Think. You Think.